like the calm before the storm, the storm being the Super Bowl. Just <laughs> can feel it all in you. It's like some of you are like, I'm so thankful there's an early service. So I can get ready. See a few Patriots jerseys out there. We are in the middle of a series uh, that we started actually last week called For Real. And the premise of this series is that we would take a look at what is really important in our lives in relation to, in relation to relationships. What, what does it look like to have a for real relationship not only with God, and that's, that's going to be in, in, in the context of everything we talk about in the next few weeks, we can't have real relationships with one another unless we have received fully from the Lord the relationship He has for us. But what does it look like to see that relationship with God so transform the way that we live that it radically impacts the people in our lives? We want the impact of our lives to be positive, amen? It's not that we can't impact our, we, we are impacting lives all the time. It's just how are we impacting the lives around us. And we want the reality of Christ's love. And we talked about this last week, that uh, as we jump into different topics uh, in relation to uh, the, the, the realness of, of God's relationship with us and with others, it's centered in that concept or that understanding of what love is. And so we talked about his love last week. And we, we looked at it, and we'll, we'll keep this as a, an overarching theme for the next few weeks, these two passages of Scripture, First John 4, 7 through 11, and John 13, 34 through 35. I'm going to read them again so that we can get them into our minds. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is Jesus talking to his disciples uh, right before he is killed on the cross. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. My desire in this series, and it's not just in this series, but uh, specifically as we're looking at this kind of love, this for real kind of love that Jesus has poured out into our lives, He's modeled for us, that God has demonstrated by sending His Son to earth to die for us and to live for us, is that we would start to recognize those that kind of love in our midst, that we would take notice, that we wouldn't just take notice, but that there would be something infused within us that would cause this radical kind of love to multiply, not only in our individual lives, but throughout the congregation. And 
I want to say that this love is a continual act that's happening all the time, and it's big acts and little acts. It's one-time acts, it's consistent acts, uh, and we need to recognize it. And so every once in a while, I'm going to share a story, and I'm sharing stories out of the last seven days of life, because I want them to stay current. And I only have like just a really, really small glimpse of what kind of acts of kindness and love are happening within our church because I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm not in every place at all times. So I, I want to hear from you. I want, I want to know from you what's happening and how people are loving. And so these stories can, can multiply and be shared among us. But, and I'm probably going to embarrass somebody almost every week, so just get ready. So if you're loving, uh, you're to be honored uh, because that's how we should live. But in, in, in this, is a simple, this is a simple story, but it was the first thing that came to my mind as I was thinking about this week. But at the end of this service on Sunday, the day after we shared about love, we had an opportunity to spend some time with Tim and Sarah Yoon. And Tim and Sarah are a part of our family, and uh, we had set up time to get together. And uh, I, I said, you know, we'll drive. And sure, sure enough, just as as this cue for them, they said, no, we'll drive. We'll be there. And they show up early, you know, just waiting to serve us. And we get in the car, and they said, we talk about where we're going to go. And they said, well, we'd like to, we, here's some places we could go, but we also are going to take some food over to the, to Sammy and Jay, who Sammy had just been in a car accident. And uh, uh, they, they had gathered some food together because they wanted to bless our sister and let her know that she was loved and cared for. And I'm like, well, I, I want to be in. I, I, can, can we go do that first? I'd like to go. And so we drove over and we gave some food and we prayed for Sammy and blessed her and, and uh, encouraged her. And then we went out to dinner and guess who picked up the check? Tim and Sarah. They blessed us with a ride. They blessed us with the, uh, with the opportunity to, to be a part of a, an, an act of service. They blessed us with a meal because they're filled with love. It's a simple story. I, I, could, I probably could repeat this story a hundred times this week among all of you, but I wanted to share it because I wanted to say, this is love. This is for real. Somebody gets injured. Somebody gets hurt. We do something for them. This is love. We're, we show acts of kindness by simply serving and, and providing a ride or providing an encouraging word or a prayer. This is love. Sometimes we pull out our wallet and we say, hey, I'd like to bless you in this time. None of those things have to be done, but when they are done out of an act or out of a, out of a desire to get into somebody else's world, there's something that's transforming that happens. What happens in me in that story is that I want to be more like Tim and Sarah. I want to I be more aware. I want to be thinking more that way. You see what I'm saying? How it transfers. And of course, anybody that gets impacted is loved on. As we move through this series, we're going to look at different aspects of this kind of love. And today, we're going to look at, I believe, what is at the root attitude. And as a result, what comes out of that attitude of love that originates in heaven, which is humility. If we're going to love others, we have to have humility to love well. And we're going to unpack what humility is. But I want to, before I give a definition, I want to read Scripture and give you a picture. I believe the very clearest and most beautiful picture of humility in Scripture is in Philippians 2. So let's read that together. 
Therefore, if any of you have incur- therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your, rela- in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God uh, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Humility. Humility as seen through the life of Jesus. As I was actually sitting on the front row this morning and praying over the service, I couldn't get out of a, this is not in my message, but I I, want to share it because I felt like the, The Lord put this on my mind. When I I truly believe that every aspect of love in relationship was put into practice before we were ever created. I believe that every good, good, wonderful, everything that is right and pure and good about life was seen in heaven before we were ever created. And when we talk about relationships, the reason that that could be seen in heaven before we were created is because God is three persons. God in himself is a community. And I believe that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, for eternity before we were created, for the time before we were created, where we're living out a love relationship, We're living out an honoring relationship. We're living out a servant-hearted, others-focused, how can I one-up you with acts of kindness? How can, I just, I, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can see just how the Trinity works. Just how fun and how encouraging and how life-giving the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are with one another as they engage one another with joy and life in love. I believe it's been going on forever. And in the context of their creation, they created created beings and they created you and me. They created human, humans. Now for moms and dads in this room, I think we can understand it maybe at a, at a deeper place. And, and everybody can catch it. But if you're a father or a mother, there probably is no greater pain or no greater grief than if your kids decide that they don't love you. 
or if they decide that they're going to do their own thing and reject who you are. And that's what happened in heaven. Some of the created beings, apart from God, not humans, but angels, decided, you know what? God, we want to be God too. We want honor. We want glory. We want, separ- we don't, we want to do our own thing. Thanks for doing this, but we've got another thing we want to do. And they rebelled. And not only did they rebel, but they took the rebellion to earth. And Satan, in his deception, deceived mankind. Deceived Adam and Eve with that same story. Did God really say, and are you really in need of submitting to that God when you can be your own God? You can be in control of your own destiny. You you have the capacity or the ability to, to know everything and to understand everything just like that guy does. Go for it. Be your own person. Break. To put it into the context of this this dialogue, break free from that community and establish a new one for yourself. The beginning of pride, right? The, the, The antithesis of humility, of submission and honor and others focused, different ways we would describe humility of considering others as better than yourself, of less of you and more of someone else, of taking your eyes off yourself and putting your eyes on somebody else. The very antithesis of humility emerged in that rebellion and emerged in that garden in pride and self-sufficiency and self-focus and self-worship became a part of human, the human story. And at the root of that attitude, and I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying, there's an attitude that leads to an action. At the root of that attitude of pride, only one thing can happen. If the world revolves around me, there's not a lot of room for other people. The only thing that can happen with pride is it brings division, it brings disunity, it brings faction, it brings nations, it keeps on multiplying away from community. And the only thing that can bring that back is humility and love. I believe that's why from the beginning of time when God knew that there would be a rebellion in heaven and he knew the path that was going to be taken, that he didn't just grab a hold of the reins and stomp it out with power. But he said, this is the opportunity for me to show you what true community looks like. It doesn't look like you have to do it my way. You better do it my way or else. It looks like I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to let you choose to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of what I've created. I want you to be a part of this, this fellowship that's been happening for eternity. I want you to be a part of the joy and the excitement and the love and the honor and the service that happens within heaven. But I want you to choose it because when you choose it, you're going to be free. You're going to be free. You're going to be free from that self-consumption and absorption that moves you away from fellowship. So Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they developed a plan. They devised a plan, the scripture says, to bring banished people back 
to themselves. And that was through Jesus' death on the cross. He who did not consider equality, this place of honor, this place of rulership, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he's God. So without any needing to do anything, that's who Jesus is. And that is, that is true. But he didn't consider his place of power to be something to be grasped or to be understood. But he emptied himself of that place of ruling, that place of honor to be with us and to show us through his life and to accomplish through his life our salvation and our fellowship. Who being very nature God, emptying his power, he served us. And he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And he served us. I told the staff this morning, I said, if, if this series becomes a series where we learn how to do relationship through some, this, we're going to have some kind of relationship seminar where we can teach you how to be more kind and more patient and we'll give you some extra, we've missed it. But if in this series we fall more in love with Jesus and how he loves people and how he has loved us and are so enamored with the goodness and the kindness and the humility and the faithfulness and the loyalty and and on and on of Jesus. We can't help but do this. We can't help be the same. And that's what Philippians is saying. With the same attitude, Philippians, as Paul is writing to the Philippians, with the same way in which Jesus has loved us, love one another. And the way that he loved us was through humility, through, a, through an attitude that says, I don't come into this world to be served, but to serve you. And that's what he did. Can we just look at Jesus' life a minute in our in our, our mind, I'm not going to, you can open scriptures, I'm going to just quote stories or just create scenarios to remind you of what Jesus did on the earth. And again, these are just examples. We could, we could fill, uh, fill a, whole, a whole volume of books with stories about different things that Jesus did or different kinds of ways we can love, but Jesus came and he served. And how did he serve? He healed people. He had compassion on, on the masses, it said, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he, 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 he got among us, he came among us, and he met needs. If someone was sick, he prayed for the sick. If someone was possessed with a demon, he delivered them. If someone was weary and tired, he encouraged them. If someone was confused and didn't understand the truth of God, he taught them. If someone needed time, he sat with them. If someone was hungry, he fed them. If someone was thirsty, he gave them a drink. His eyes were continually open to what was going on in the lives of people around him, and he had compassion. He had uh, an ability, he, because his heart is love, he, 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 he empathized with the people's needs around him. And he met needs, and he served. Long nights, long days, City to city, the scripture says, with no pillow to lay his head on. He persevered through sacrifice and trial to be kind 
to the unlovely, to protect the poor and the outcast, to bring light into the darkness, to bring salvation to those of us, all of us who were lost. And he wrapped up this attitude of humility through two events just to mark what this looks like. And the one before the big one was when he was with his disciples and he demonstrated his love in this way. It says, before the Passover celebration, John 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. So he has power. He has authority. And that he had come from God. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew he would return to God. So knowing all of this, having all of this authority and power, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. One last act, one last way of talking with words and actions before the final act of laying down his life. He serves his disciples by washing their feet, by doing the thing that the lowest of the lowest servant was asked to do. He chose an act that would be at the very bottom of the prestige scale. That's why he did it. He could have done another act. He, He chose that act to say, I am the king of kings, and I am the Lord of lords, and I have the authority as we sing in the old hymns for those of us who are over 50 in the room. I could, I could call 10,000 angels here in a few hours to make all of this stop. I could rewrite the whole story, wipe out the earth, and start over. But I want you to know what it's like in heaven. And I want you to know what I'm like. And I want you to know what love is like. And it does not rule over you, but it serves you. And he took those grimy feet and he wiped those feet off and he looked into those eyes and he gave those disciples dignity and honor and respect and he served. He showed them what it looks like to love. He showed them what it looks like to use power. What's really interesting is that in another gospel, as we piece the story together, because different gospels tell different parts of the story, we know that after the table, after that happened, and after they eat together, that the disciples didn't get it. And they start arguing about who's going to be greatest in heaven. Who's going to get to be closest to Jesus? Who's going to be on the higher throne? Just right after the king of kings washed their feet and said, this is what it looks like. They say, but who's going to be the best one of us around you, Jesus? Who has the most authority? Who's going to have the most honor? They begin to argue. And Jesus told them in verse 25 of Luke 22, he says, in this world, the king and great kings and great men lorded over their people. 
Yet they are called friends of the people, but among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at this table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. This is what it looks like to have humility. And ultimately, he showed those words true by allowing human beings who he created, human beings whom he served, human human beings who he did not sin against or offend or do anything wrong to, but only loved, he allowed them, us, to kill him on a cross. He allowed his body to be broken, to be bruised, to be beaten. He allowed his persona, his person, to be accused and ridiculed and laughed at and scoffed and mocked and dehumanized. He allowed all of that to happen and he allowed it to happen all the way to a death. He died to show us his love. He did that for you and me. As we were taking communion this morning, that's what I was thinking about. God, I know me. I know me. I know how fickle I know how unfaithful at times. I know how proud and arrogant. I know all of these things that happen in my heart and my mind that nobody else sees but you, God. I know me. And you love me just the same. You forgive me just the same. You have hope and promise for me just the same. You are encouraging and pursuing of me just the same. You love me and you did this for me so that I could be with you. It's awesome. And God gave him honor as a result. So how about in our lives? How do we love one another? We have a, a value here at Antioch where we say, God, we, we value humble service. And the, the, the tagline to that is we look beyond ourselves. Lord, we We value humble service, looking beyond ourselves. What does it look like for us to take this this life of Jesus and how he modeled it for us and how do we love one another? And how do we walk? I mean, first of all, how do we walk in humility? How do we walk in the attitude of humility and then serve one another through that attitude? And I want to just say this. The only way that we can truly be humble is if we humble ourselves before God first. Don't start thinking about ways you can serve one another if God is not centered as the one that you bow your knee before every day. If he's not the person that you're yielded to. If he's not the one who you acknowledge on a regular basis, God, I can't live a godly life without you. I can't do it without you. I can't love, as we talked about last week in one of our life groupers, that I can't do this. This is impossible, except with God. So, God, I've got to have you. So when we talk about being humble and wanting to walk in humility, but we don't humble ourselves before the Lord on a regular basis, we don't acknowledge our need, we, don't, we just kind of walk out in our own self-strength and our own self-determination and our plans and whatever, and, we, and then we... we we think that we are going to grow in humility. I just want to encourage this congregation, there's no way for us to be humble and walk in humility if we're not humbling ourselves before God. 
The scripture says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and in due season he will lift you up. So it's, it starts with humility and that, that place of humility and surrender before the Lord starts with prayer. It starts with being in his word and understanding who he is and allowing the life of God to transform us. Jesus said himself when he was here on the earth, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from you, I mean, apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot do anything that is of eternal value. And that's what we're living for, right? We're living for eternity, right? We're not living for... And again, all these things happen in our life for a reason. We have houses, we have cars, we have kids, we have educations, we have food that we've got to buy. We've got all this stuff that we've got to do, but we're not living for that, right? It's kind of hard when you ask the question because you're like, I I don't know if I can answer that real quickly, Pastor. Because most of us at times, if we're not, if we're being truly honest, that's really what we're living for. We're just getting through life. To get on to the next day of life. But that's not really what we are created to live for as believers. We have been born again and transformed to live for eternity. And we have been been given the opportunity to advance the kingdom of God of love, of salvation, of healing, of life. And if we are not humbly coming to the Lord and letting Him open our eyes and transform our minds and give us that that inspiration and that, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen unless we humble ourselves before the Lord. Humility, here's another way of describing it, I believe. Humility is living to bring glory and honor to Jesus and not ourselves. That's humility. Pride is, how good am I doing, God? Look at what I'm doing. Is anybody taking notice of what I'm doing and how good I'm doing? But humility is, Jesus, how can you get honor? And how can you get praise? Humility is the attitude, the posture. And service is the response. And that's why we seek Him. And that's why we do what He asks us to do. Because we want Him to receive honor. Back to Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then, what is that mindset? Um, Philippians, uh, two verses before that, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity. Do nothing. I'm saying it over and over because it's so subtle, isn't it? To live for selfish ambition and for our own vanity. For our own image. And Paul says, do no thing with that motivation. How do we do that? With with Jesus in mind. We pray. We pray for those who don't know Him. We pray for those around us. We pray and ask God to give us eyes to love and to serve. We pray. We start off by praying. If you want to have humility infused within your relationships, the first way that you can walk humbly for others is to pray for them. And to guard our hearts from self-promotion. Guard our hearts from pride. Guard it from selfish ambition and vanity. 
First Peter says it this way, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Tonight, you're going to see a football game. Hey, I'm a sports fan, so for all of you people that get offended by this illustration, know that I, I am a faithful subscriber to ESPN. So just be okay with it. But tonight, you're going to watch a football game, and if any of us sports fans are really honest, what we see all the time is unbelievable amounts of pride and selfish ambition and self-focus and self-promotion. It is like become, it has become kind of the culture in sports. And you will see at the end of the game, somebody is going to win. I, I, you know, I'm not a betting person, but I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. Somebody's going to win, and some players on that team, I'm, t- I'm not talking about all of them, but some of the players are going to do this. That's right. That's right. Woo! We did it. Uh-huh. Look at me. Oh, yeah. I'm great. Woo! Woo! They're going to do that. They're going to get in the cameras. They're going to flaunt it. We did it. And then they're also going to go like this. Ooh, yeah, you are lousy. You're terrible. Ooh, and they're going to point fingers. And you know what? It's not just going to be the players, but the fans are going to do it. And some of us in our houses would have done it if they hadn't come to this message this morning. There's something that promotes this, oh, human accomplishment. We've done it. Can you imagine Mother Teresa? You know where I'm going. Can you imagine Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta after she serves somebody who's about to die? Stand up from that place of service and go, Woo! Yeah! Did you see me serve that person? Woo, I'm good! Woo, I gave them the food they needed! Wow, look at me! Come on! And could you see her walking around to the rich people and going, Ooh, you're a loser! I serve the poor! They're winning! Ooh, you loser! We couldn't, couldn't even imagine seeing that. See, the problem is, and it's, it's, a, it's really a real illustration, actually, because it's what we worship. It's what's training our kids. It's what's training our society. And that's an, an example. But the problem is, is that when we allow that to happen in our lives, and I see it in my kids' lives. I won't name name the kid because i got a couple of them here. (laughs) But I see it right in our own family. But what happens is that when we do that, what on the sports field, let's just go back to the sports field, what naturally happens? We have teams, we have allegiances, and we divide. Makes sense, you know, at some level in sports and competition. 
But when that attitude influences our life, it breeds division. And it doesn't breed unity. And here's another thing, just to take it one step further. Um, Let's talk about issues that are important to the church that we feel like society is not on the right side of. Right? And we want to see change happen in this specific issue. How we go about, and let's just say that on a specific issue, it's absolutely clear. Let me, I'll, I'll name one. Stand out here. Let's talk about abortion. It's very clear from Scripture, in my perspective, that when we kill a child who has been formed, it's, it's murder. I think it's very clear. But if I use that knowledge to beat somebody up who disagrees with me, and if I win the argument out of pride and self-promotion and victory, you know, it's very, very inter- intertwined when it becomes an, a spiritual issue, isn't it? But when my attitude is wrong, and maybe I win some court battle, or I win some argument, or I win some decision, but I have not operated in a spirit of humility, I've not operated in love, I've not considered that the person that I'm opposed to is actually a human being created in the image of God that God cries for and desires for their life to ultimately find Him and I block the view of God because I've got to win an argument. Or I've got to win an issue and the issues might be really important. And I'm not saying that we don't stand up and, 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 and look for justice and look for for freedom and deliverance. And this one I think is a really big issue that I'm talking about, but it matters how we do it. It matters because every word, every act, every deed has to be clothed in humility, has to be clothed in love so that people can see the gospel, so they can see Jesus. And when that happens, we build bridges of love and respect, even if at the time they don't worship Jesus, the scripture says that maybe one day in the end they will live such godly lives among people who don't know Jesus. So that in the end, so that in the end, they might praise your Father in heaven. That's our goal. Pray with me. Jesus, I have lots more, but I ran out of time. Jesus. Lord, you know how much I travailed over this message, God, because I know how not humble I am in so many ways. And Lord, to stand up in this pulpit and to preach on something that you are still working out in me is in its very nature humbling. And so, Lord, I I stand among my brothers and sisters and say, God, we need to see you more clearly. We need to see you, God, with the way that you saw us We need to see you with the way that you saw humanity when we rebelled against you. When we when we rebel against you, present tense, Lord, when we do not honor you and respect and love you and consider you, Lord, and when we don't consider others. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? Would you bring us to a place of humility? And this morning, 
congregation, my, my one concluding question is, uh, what work of humility does God want to do in your life? It could be that he's wanting to deal with your attitude. It could be that he's wanting to deal with your acknowledgement of him. It could be that there is a place of judgment or arrogance in your life towards somebody else that he's wanting to speak to. Whatever angle God has, I think he just wants to answer the question for you, how can I be more humble? What deeper place of humility can you work in me, Lord, this morning?